This episode of the Cigar Social Podcast is brought to you by Black Star Line Cigars. From the highly rated Warwich to the outstanding Lalibela and Classic El Milagro. These cigars are absolutely incredible and use the absolute best tobacco from Aganorsa Leaf, which is farmed and expertly handcrafted in Esteli, Nicaragua. Visit them at blackstarline.shop and use promo code CIGARSOCIAL15 for 15% off your entire order and receive free shipping on all orders over 100 bucks. Black Star Line Cigars. Cigars are a daily operation. to another episode of the Cigar Social Podcast. My name is Matt. This is episode 29. I am your host. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is someone who I've been excited to talk to. We've uh, we've kind of been talking for a while via email, and we finally got a chance to do this, well, kind of face-to-face. Uh, his cigar brand is uh, something I haven't really explored personally, so I can't wait to know more about it. Uh, from what I understand, he was born and raised in San Fran until he was about 17, spent the 20s in L.A., working as a fitness professional and then a personal trainer at some celebrity-rich sports club. Uh, <laughs> then he grew tired of L.A., and without much plan, he kind of moved to Nashville in the mid-90s, did some random jobs from uh, jumping around until he finally entered the cigar industry. So I want to know more about that. I heard something about selling shampoo for dogs. Can't wait to find out. <laughs> Uh, and now, now he's the owner and founder of Crown Head Cigars. Uh, John Huber, thanks for taking the time. Pleasure, Matt. Thank you. You did your research, man. You just nailed, you encapsulated the last 30 years of my life in, in about 30 seconds. So that's impressive. For sure. is, that, is, that, is that good or bad? <laughs> no, it's like, I mean, it's obviously you did a little research. So I, I'm, I'm flattered. But um, yeah, it was all, all accurate. All good stuff. Cool. Uh, today's bottle uh, is the Addictivo Small Batch Whiskey. Now they're they're known for their tequila. They're known for these these fancy bottles with the the extra shot on top. And I don't know if it's because of the curved bottle that they can't fit 750 milliliters in there, so they do the extra pour, or is that just a bonus? I haven't measured it. Um, but this is 100% single malt whiskey, uh, aged in new handpicked. Oak, American oak barrels, and then finished in the Ectectivo uh, tequila casks, delivering that natural dark amber color. This is the first whiskey produced by them, and w- which makes this whiskey so special is that it's, again, finished in that tequila cask, so it gives you that unique and great flavor of, of whiskey, but little little hint of tequila. It's, it's kind of a, a funky little whiskey. I've had it before. It, it's a, it's a flavor bomb for sure. It's it's something that I would probably say, if somebody's trying to get into whiskey, this would be a good, uh, you know, training wheels for them because it's not too hot. It's got a lot of flavor and it's a good conversation piece. Um, the source of the whiskey, I can't find any information on. So uh, I know they source it maybe an MGP, maybe an MGP from from Mexico-esque uh, broker. But when they do get it, they age it for five years. Um, 80 proof, 
so it's not too hot, and they they claim that it's from product of Mexico. So I got a feeling that the whiskey was sourced from from down there. Um, not a bad drink. Uh, have you ever tried this, John? No. Um, to be honest with you, I, I stopped drinking. <laughs> I'm probably in the wrong show, but I stopped drinking a long time ago. I gave it up. Um, yeah, I, I got too good at it, and they retired my jersey. So, got, it. Uh, got it. Yeah, so I'm not – my what I'm drinking is very simple. Black coffee, Cafe Bustelo. So, you know, and I, I was going to do a black coffee too. Um, but yeah. Um, all right. Moving on to the cigar. Yeah, man. So this thing is something that was hard to find. Um, but I got it. A buddy from Colorado. He sent me this along with four other banded cigars with the, the satin band on the foot. Mm-hmm. We'll go through those later. But this one had the orange one. I put it on the sack of squatch as like a badge of armor. Um, <laughs> Nice. But this is uh, one of four regional exclusive releases from Crown Heads. Is that correct? Yeah, technically, more or less. I mean, over the years, it's kind of evolved into more of a national thing. Obviously, you found it in Colorado, so um, it's not exclusive to Tennessee now. But yeah, so we do Tennessee Waltz, Yellow Rose for Texas. That's how it started off. Paniola for Hawaii. And then Buckeye Land was something that just kind of came and went for Ohio, but we're we're not producing Buckeye anymore. Um, and I also know that my our our friend Tim Pearson from Chattanooga Whiskey, I think they're actually selling Crown Heads or the Tennessee Waltz he was mentioning at mm-hmm. his distillery too. So that's kind of cool. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's nice. Little home. This is the five and five and a half by fifty two Robusto Extra. Uses a Connecticut broadleaf wrapper, Nicaraguan binders and fillers, uh, and like the rest of the exclusive, the cigar has that that little satin foot, um, which is just that nice classy touch. You know, it's 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 eye catching out of the humidor, but it's not like over over the top at all. It's just right. enough enough said. Um, and obviously, this represents Tennessee. Go Vols. Yes, absolutely. The orange is a, is, is a tie back to Tennessee. And to be quite honest with you, when we started doing these uh, exclusives, the, the, the reason, the rationale behind the foot band was just to, to reduce the cost and so that we can you know, put it on the shelf for a more reasonable price. So we eliminated the band. We thought, okay, let's just do a, a foot band. Just to, you know, and that just kind of stuck from there. But yeah. initially it was just to, to minimize the cost delivered at a more affordable price for the end consumer. The Tennessee Waltz is uh, both a real song and also a, a, a cigar homage to the state where your grandparents grew, uh, met. Is that correct? No, actually, it's my grandparents met at a dance, and the first song that was playing for their first dance was Tennessee Waltz. Got so it. But that was that happened in California. So, and then I ended up serendipi- serendipitously moving to Tennessee. So that's that all kind of came together. There's something about you wooing your wife in Tennessee. Another reason why you, you, you kind of did that. Uh, well, I met my wife uh, in Tennessee, but it was funny because we both she moved from Ohio, Virginia, Virginia to Tennessee around the same time that I went from San Francisco, L.A. to Tennessee. But we didn't, even though it was kind of like it's not a small town, but back then it was a lot easier to run into people in the same venues and what have you. But we didn't know each other until. Uh, we kind of met by accident uh, over Twitter of all things. And then, um, yeah, then we started from there and uh, 
just celebrated our, our 13th year dating anniversary and our 12 year wedding anniversary. So it's been congratulations. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I met my wife on Bumble, so it's, it's, you know, it's funny how things work. It is. I wasn't looking to meet somebody at the time, but it just, there was something. And then we had a, we started like this kind of, uh, you know, it went from Twitter to text to phone call to date, but we had like this little courtship for about two months before we even jumped the, the, into a, a date. And then once we had our first date, that was it. And I think I've been with her every, every day since pretty much. The, this cigar was made in the My Father factory. Correct. Um, and I know that you, we'll, we'll go over some of the other ones, but I also know that you use other tobacco claras, uh, like you know, that for different other cigars, like the Mil Diaz and the Four Kicks are in uh, separate factories. Yes. But, uh, and all make great products. Uh, but yeah, my father's, again, huge fan of, of Tatuaje, a huge fan of my father's cigars. So, you know, it kind of falls I. right in line. Yeah, as as am I. And, uh, you know, I always say this, but I always want to pay tribute to my, my good friend, Pete Johnson. He's the reason why that cigar exists. Um, he was the entree into the factory back in 2014. Um, and that meeting that he set up basically led to Las Calaveras, Tennessee Waltz, Jericho Hill, La Imperiosa. The list goes on. So I uh, owe a lot to Pete to this day. And no wonder, I mean, it's got, I believe, a 90 rating on half wheel. So, I mean, that's. Yeah, that I, says I don't really pay. I don't pay a whole bunch of attention to ratings, um, but, yeah. you know, it's it's nice when it happens. It's nice, but it's not a it's not what we strive for, to be honest with you. It's a I always feel like the ratings, especially for some of those media outlets, are like a ballpark. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. we did a blind smoke here in the shed with a couple of local guys and the, the cigar I handed off had like an 87 from one, a 93 from another outlet, right? So I found four of them. I gave them the average. I'm like, on an average, <laughs> it rates a 90. Right. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's, all, it's, 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 it's subjective, man. It's, it's, it's one person or one outlet's opinion. It's a jumping yep. off point. It's a guide. I mean, I went by that guide. When I first started getting into smoking cigars, you know, Cigar Aficionado was the only thing going on. So I would get the magazine and then I would go through with the rate, highest rated cigars, go to the cigar store, try to find those cigars. So, it, it you know, it's, it's a gateway for sure. But I don't, it's not the end all be all. You know what I mean? Yep. For me personally, a lot of guys will, you know, ride that all the way. They'll be like, oh, we got XYZ rating and let's put that on a shelf talker, let's, which is great. I get it. But for me, it's just never really been. You know, if I'm if I'm proud of the project and I think it's smoking well and I enjoy it, the rest of it is just kind of icing on the cake. So yeah, no, absolutely. I always said too, like with those places, you don't know how how it was shipped, how it was kept, and then exactly. not only that, but then like you said, personal preference of that one single person, which could Correct. vary from person. To yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned in the, in the intro that you moved to Nashville and you did a few things. Can you go uh, a little bit on how you went from a sales, a phone salesman for Mr. Crystal's Australian lux luxury shampoo for dogs? Yes, that was to... actually in L.A. That was in L.A. Yeah, So I did that when I was living in Los Angeles. I was really, you know, I paid some dues. I had some really lousy jobs back there. But, yeah, there was, there was some telemarketing gigs in L.A., uh, sleeping on a mattress, you know, living on peanut butter and bread for weeks at a time. 
um, it was it was a struggle for sure. But then when I got to Nashville, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, it was just it, I think the only job I really had in Nashville before I got into cigars was um, I worked as a temp for uh, a firm that basically bought and resold. They were a reseller for diesel fuel for truck stops, truck stops across the country. And it was, again, one of the most boring, mundane jobs. And, you know, I just, I hated it. And which, which actually was the impetus and the driving force, like, okay, find out what you want to do because you, you can't go through life like this. And, and the rest of it was just kind of very, you know, coincidental and, and maybe a little bit of a destiny thing, but I discovered cigars and I was like, that's what I want to do. So and that's how, how, how did you segue into working for CAO? So, um, I, you know, I fell in love with cigars. I walked into a cigar shop by accident. I was looking for a gift for my dad and I was going back to California for a visit. So I was like, oh, cigars, this is kind of cool. I walked in and as soon as I walked into that shop, the smell of the, the cedar and the tobacco and everything, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. You know, so I, I bought my little cigars, went back, smoked them. Got into it, picked up cigar aficionados, started making tasting notes, started educating myself, really got into it. And then I remember that I found in the back issue of Cigar Aficionado magazine, I saw, you know, CAO International, 830 Kindle Drive. And then I saw Nashville, Tennessee. I'm like, oh, crap, there's a cigar company in Nashville. And, you know, at that time, there was no social media. There was none of that stuff. You can't send a DM or whatever. So I literally just cold called the the number that I saw there. And I said, who's the owner? What's his name? What's the mailing address? Sent a letter. Um, and I didn't hear anything for about four months. And then four months later, I got a call from John O'Osgan, rest in peace. And uh, he said, yeah, I got your letter here on my desk. And I was wondering if you're interested in, you know, coming in for an interview. And that's how it all started. So we I interviewed twice with John O. I took an entry level job as a shipping manager. And uh, that's how I got my start and just kind of parlayed it from there to be honest you know and within five months i became the director of promotions and public relations and then yep. i became like a key component of the marketing leg of it and then i got involved with product development and then it, the last title i had before the, after the restructuring was director of lifestyle marketing which was interesting because they let me come up with my own title and i know i know a guy at red bull that had that title and i thought that's kind of cool <laughs> and that was it i became the director of lifestyle marketing so, um, yeah, so that was it. And then, you know, CAO was acquired by Henry Winterman's and then eventually required that, that was acquired by STG and all that. So, um, it was basically my stint with CAO was from 96 to 2010. And I kind of, I, I kind of say I got my undergrad degree in the business there. And then, um, my last day was in December of 2010. And then by what, February of 2011, uh, Mike Condor and I announced Crown Heads, and then we started the the search for who would make the first Crown Head cigars. And you know, I'm giving you the Reader's Digest condensed version. But eventually, we started shipping the first cigars in November of 2011 um, with Ernesto Perez Carrillo uh, blending the the first four kicks. There is a funny story I heard about how you went from the CAO director of promotions and public relations, or the, how you went from shipping manager to director. Something involving a, a, a boxing event. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so what happened was I was, you know, I was doing the shipping thing. Didn't know anything about shipping, but I had told John that I was going to be the best shipping manager ever. And you know, I just 
anything I could do to get my foot in the door. And I think he saw that I was passionate about it. So he gave me a shot. And then about, about five months into it, um, I was at home. It was early in the morning. I was working out and I was listening to this radio station. this KDF here in, in Nashville, WKDF rock very at the time it was a popular uh, rock format radio station. I, I heard them do this promo for this, this prize fight that was going to be on closed circuit TV. And you, if you win the, the contest, you get two tickets plus a box of cigars. And I was like, bing, I was like, this is interesting. Cause that's not something you would hear every day. So I, I literally called the radio station. I said, I just heard your promo. You know, what cigars are you using? And the guy was very honest. He was like, I don't know. We just thought that would be a cool tie into the promo. I said, well, I work for a cigar company and I will get you the cigars gratis. If you just give me a couple of mentions, mention the company, you know, do a couple spots. Fair enough. So I did that and I recorded the, the adverts. And then a couple of weeks later, I, I called them back up and I said, you know, listen, there's a follow up, but you know, cigars are kind of getting popular. This was right at the, the tail end of the boom. Um, in 96. And um, the guy said, uh, I, I said, you know, why don't I come in and do like a little, little show, like a cigar Q&A type thing. And I, mind you, I just, I wasn't even a year in the business. It was months. And um, so I got to do that. And I did it for about four consecutive weeks. I would go in one day a week, like 730 in the morning, put the headphones on, do the Q&A. And then I got all these, these spots on a cassette and then at the end of the month i went into john's office and i played it for him and he's listening to all this stuff and he's like you know he's, he's listening he's like man this guy's this guy's really good who is this guy we should get him i said that's me and he's like, really? he's like he goes okay and then he said he goes you are the worst shipping manager ever um you're fired and hired as a director of promotions and public relations so that's how it started really and then i kind of got my footing in in that way and i found out what i really like to do so and then the rest of it just kind of progressed from there. So you, 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 you went in saying that you were going to be the best and you went out with somebody saying you were the worst. That's what his, his famous quote was that I was a terrible shipping manager. <laughs> I, didn't know, I had no idea what that even entailed. I just knew that I was in the business. I mean, to give you, to frame it up, like I got hired April 15th of 96. And three months later, I was at the, the, the actual trade show, which was RTDA at the time. Now it's called PCA and you talk about trial by fire. We literally got thrown into it. I'm like, you, our booth was right across from cigar aficionado. And at that time they had JFK's humidor that Marvin Shankin had acquired and they had armed guards around it. And there was celebrities and Carlito Fuente and, you know, Perdon senior and all these guys, Ernesto, all these guys that I had read about in the magazines were there. Like, and I'm three months into this. So it was, you know, it was a crash course in the, in the industry for sure. But wow. uh, that was a great, that was a great trade show. It was a really cool trade show because I remember taking a box of cigars from our CAO cigars. And I, I said, who's that guy at cigar fish now that everybody keeps talking to. And somebody said, Oh, that's George Brightman. He's, he's like the, the guru over there. I was like, all right. And I just kept my eye on the couch and when it was always somebody there. And then as soon as he was by himself, I dashed over there. I sat down next to him. I said, Mr. Brightman, my name is John Huber. I'm with CAO Cigars. This is our new cigar, CAO Gold. I want you to try it, da, 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 da. And he became, like, over the, the years to come, he became, like, my mentor in the industry. And I learned so much from George. To this day, we still keep in, we keep in contact. But that was, I just, I was aggressive and I just went for it, you know. And um, it's so, it, it was, it was fun. That's just also like where I met Pete Johnson. That's why I met Pete at that show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
just like uh, you got CAO uh, into the, 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 the boxing ring, um, mm-hmm. you, you did also secure placement of cigars for the TV show Sopranos when you were working for right. CAO. How, yeah. how did that happen? And uh, can you talk about that release and that experience? Um, it happened because at the time, Sopranos was starting on HBO and People were get, it was cat getting traction. People were watching it, and somebody in the office had mentioned that, hey, you know, they were smoking cigars on The Sopranos. Did you guys see that? And I didn't even have HBO. I didn't even know anything about the show. And um, somebody said, well, it'd be a good idea to maybe we can get our cigars on there. You know, product placement deal. And John was famous for this saying, "Make it happen." Like he just he was a firm believer in like whatever you can conceive and believe, you can achieve if you just, just go for it. So I was like. Huh. Okay. So I was tasked with that. And, um, at the time I'd been in contact with a company in LA. I don't know if they're still in, in business or not, but it was called UPP entertainment and their sole function in the entertainment industry was to, uh, secure product placement deals, which I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. But, um, this one guy that kept courting me was saying, listen, you know, for X amount of money, we can get you X amount of placements. And I'm like, well, where are the placements? And he's like, well, it could be on a film, it could be on TV show, it could be, you know, it's not really, it's just, we'll secure that many placements. So I was, you know, never interested. And then I called them one day and I said, Hey, Steve, uh, I got an idea for you. If I just want one specific thing, what's that worth to you? And so we worked out an arrangement with UPP and they got the product onto, uh, onto the show. And then from there, I developed a direct relationship with the product placement person on set. And so the following year, we didn't even need to renew the contract. We just kept sending product. And then that eventually led to HBO wanting to do uh, a private label thing, a royalty arrangement kind of a thing with uh, a CAO. And it became CAO, the Sopranos edition. So we worked on that, got that out there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a cool experience. You know, I got to meet a lot of the, the cast. Um, you know, to this day, it's, it's sad, but I, I still have James Gandolfini's cell in my my phone and i won't delete it because it was just such a shock when he passed yeah Um, wow you know but it was it was a fun experience it it was it just kind of really reinforced jano's mantra of make it happen and and we did you know collectively as a team we made that that whole thing go so it was fun yeah uh no that that's pretty uh pretty awesome and uh so you have cigars. Actually, you know what I wanted to do? I want to go through these four real quick before I go into the different uh, tobacco factories. For sure. But I have, you, you mentioned this one. was This was the, the yellow. So that is yellow, yellow rose. rose. Yes, it, which is the same blend as the cigar you're smoking right now, Tennessee Waltz. It's just in a box-pressed uh, Figurado size. Okay. So that was exclusively for Texas. So that came out after Tennessee Waltz. Then you got this this light blue one. That's uh, that was a pre God, that's special. That's a pre-release Las Moreas. Okay. So uh, Las Moreas, we it was came out about a time when all this FDA deeming regulations were coming out, and we needed to get or everybody needed to get product into commerce before all this the end of the world happened. And so I said, well, let's just do a, a pre-release, just to get it on the shelves. And we were in a real rush. Just use those, and we did a very small run of those. Those are really hard to find. Um, and then Las Marias came out, you know, with the band and the packaging and everything, and then has since been, you know, put on hiatus, as, as we like to say. So that's what that one is. 
Okay, cool. Well, I mean, uh, like I said, my buddy in Colorado sent me these, so thanks, Aaron. Um, he's, a, he's a good buddy because that's I don't even have that cigar. And the dark, dark blue, that yeah. might be that's, that's going to jar my memory. I think it's a point of the Paniolo exclusives that we did along the along the way. We do a, a an LE for Hawaii for one specific person, Marvin Chang at Arfield Wine, and we've been doing that with Marvin since 2015. And so every year it changes. That unlike Waltz and Rose, which is the same blend, same size, Paniolo changes the size and the blend from year to year to year. And it's a small run of like maybe four to five thousand cigars a year for Hawaii. So that okay. I think that's one of the I couldn't tell you the year off the top of my head though. And then we have our last one, which is uh a white. Is that white band? Yeah, that's that's also a Paniolo exclusive, and that's the one I believe that true one of the ones that True Estate did for us. They did two two years, and that was one of the years. I think that was the nineteen, maybe something like that. So, and Drew also did our Buckeye Land, which is the red foot ribbon, and that was for Ohio. And then we released it one year, and then we just couldn't keep it in production, and we still get requests for it, but. The problem we 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 had wanted to work with Drew State specifically with Willie Herrera for since 2013. Willie and I have known each other and wanted to do something together. And eventually, over the years, we finally got more and more serious about it. And so we decided we finally came out with a brand called La Coalition in 2019. That was a collaboration between Willie and myself, and it, I was very very proud of that cigar, and it did very well. And then. Um, we just couldn't get any more production from Drew. And they just got so big. It's so hard for us, a cigar company like our size to work with a monster behemoth like Drew because, I, in fact, I was coincidentally, I was talking to Willie yesterday. And they have a thing called the demand plan, which is basically their production schedule for the future. And he's already they're already working on, you know, 2025. So, yeah. Wow. We're, work, we're working on July. <laughs> and they're working on 2025. So, um. You did Tennessee. We talked about why you did Hawaii and you talked about why. So why Texas and Ohio? Texas was because um, we had hired one of our first in-house reps. Wes was our first. And then our second was uh, Brian McGee and he repped in Texas. And Brian said, hey, our retailers would love to have a state exclusive. So hence uh, uh, Yellow Rose. And then Ohio was Miguel, our national sales manager, was asking me to do something for Ohio. And I thought, well, this one actually makes sense because my wife was born and raised in Ohio up until she was like 12. Um, and so her maiden name is Land. So that's why the, the name of the brand became Buckeye Land. And then her actual, it's a little Easter egg on the box, but in very small Roman numerals is like, I think it's either 432 or 1432, but that was basically her physical address at the street that she, she grew up on. So oh, wow. was a little, yeah. So that was, that was why we did, uh, Buckeye land. You have other, uh, cigar, the four kicks, for example, uh, that's at, uh, Ernesto Tabacalera. Tabacalera La Alianza. Um, yeah. That was our first regular production release in 2011, November of 11. Yeah. They have four kicks. We do. I mean, I'll go down the, the roster with, so Tobacco La Alianza, which is Ernesto Perez Carrillo, uh, Four Kicks, Four Kicks Capa Especial, um, Luminosa, uh, Le Carême, 
Um, at one time, we had Headley Grange, J.D. Howard. Those have both been put on hiatus. We've had to kind of really hyper-focus our brands on, on a specific few. Um, and then with my father, we do Jericho Hill, La Imperiosa, Tennessee Waltz, Yellow Rose. And then we do an annual LE with my father called Las Calaveras. Um, and we're also working with Noxa as of recently. Um, they do a brand called the Patissier. And they also did Azuli Oro, which is an LE that we did last year. Um, and then we go to Takanixa, which was formerly known as Tabacalera Pichardo, and they do Milk Diaz and Juarez for us at this moment. So that's that's the the resume. I might be it's, it's, a couple, but what I've noticed, uh, and like you like you mentioned, uh, some a company like your size and uh, on your side of things. It is kind of hard to probably stick with just one tobacco factory. I know like Black Star Line, Eric Bay, he uses Agonorsa and Agonorsa does a bunch for other folks. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is, but I don't think I've ever heard or seen a company uh, so far doing this that expanded out that far into the realm and kind of uses a handful or more at yeah. any given time. Yeah, no, no, it's... um. You know, it really, going back to when we first started, my, my intention was just to work with Ernie. I mean, I, it was hard enough to, to get to that point where we, because you have to remember at the time, Ernie had just started EPC Cigar Company in 2009, and he was only doing his own brands. He wasn't doing any contract brands. He wasn't doing any cigars for anybody else. And then after spending a few months visiting different factories in Central America, we, we came back and assessed the situation and said, who do we really who would be the best bet to work with? And it came down to Ernie. And then it became like, well, will he do this? You know, can we convince him to make a contract brand? And, you know, knock on wood, we sold the deal. And he, he said, yeah, but he did have a disclaimer on it. He's like, look, he goes, I will, I will do the cigar for you, but he goes, I'm not going to sell you a car off the lot. I'm, you're going to come down here and you're going to build the car and that's how we'll do it. So if it, if it sells good for you, if it doesn't, that's on you as well. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear at the time. I mean, cause like, yeah. it's CAO is a whole different way of product development. You know, it wasn't as involved. It was more like, okay, here's bland ABC brand, ABC, whatever, pick one, you know, put it in a box, sell it. And it was a machine. Um, but I really wanted to, to build the car and that's what Ernie taught me. And that was my graduate degree really is he had me come down and, and, really took me through, you know, everything, how to validate tobacco, how to go from just, okay, if it's Jalapa, but it's Jalapa, here's one Finca and 10 miles away, it's another Finca. Tell me what the difference is in these two, in this Seiko and this Seiko, or this Viso, this Viso, this Lero, this Lero. And so I learned a lot working with Ernie. Um, so yeah, so we got, we started working with Ernie and then the idea was I would continue to, to work with him, but then eventually um, like a few years later, he started to expand out of necessity into doing other stuff for other companies. And I was like, well, maybe we need to kind of do the same thing just to protect ourselves and just in case, you know, things supply gets out of control or whatever. And, um, then I went back to, to Pete and I said, Hey, do you think there's room in the factory at my father? And he initiated the meeting in January of 14. I went down there. The first cigars we worked on were, um, uh, Las Calaveras, Tennessee Waltz, and Jericho Hill. And so then we became working with those two factories. And then um, uh, 
Fast forward to like 2017, and that's when Tabacalera Pichardo, which is now Takanixo, came into my, my view and um, got some samples from them. And I thought, wow, there's some potential here, you know. So we started working there, and that uh, resulted in Juarez and Mildias. And then, uh, you know, it's just been all, all things over the years. And again, going back to wanting to work with Willie, we wanted to do that for years. And so we got the opportunity to do La Coalition. Um, and then uh, most recently was Noxus. And Noxus kind of goes full circle because the guy running Noxus is a gentleman named Gustavo Cura. And Gustavo, God bless him, was instrumental in orchestrating a lot of meetings and getting us into different facilities back in 2011 when Mike Condor and I were visiting uh, Nicaragua, trying to figure out who's going to make cigars for us. Um, and so now... At, you know, and he's always been with Prosonixa, which is like working for Oliva Tobacco, not Oliva Cigar Company, but Oliva Tobacco. So Gus has been a tobacco broker guy for freaking forever. And, and then recently, a couple of two, three years ago, he started to uh, work. He was the head of Noxa. And I didn't even know that was happening at the time. But Willie told me that, hey, have you talked to Gus lately? He's working at Noxa. I'm like, no kidding. So I called up Gus and we decided to do some stuff together. So that's it, it all just kind of, you know, it's happened organically over the years, I guess. But um, it's interesting to work with different factories because I mean, you can have, uh, you know, a broadleaf cigar from factory A and one from factory B, but the way that they process the tobacco, the way that they blend and everything, you have two completely different expressions. So I look at my role more as being like kind of like a, like a Rick Rubin, like a music producer. And I, I'm assembling the the talent and I'm actually doing a little bit of the creative directing, more or less, with various artists. That's how I look at what I do as my role here at Ground Heads. After leaving CAO, and uh, when CAO was sold and moved out of Nashville, you you and three other former CAO alumni <laughs> moved uh, yeah. to, to create Crown Heads, uh, Mike Condor, Michael mm -hmm. Trebig, and uh, Heather Heath, uh, Nancy Heathman. Nancy, um, yeah. Speaking of growing organically, was that startup, uh, you know, just kind of like picking up where you left off or were there like major hurdles at, at the start that you needed to overcome in order to, you know, meet uh, and, and grow organically at that point? It was a, it was a whole different experience for me. Um, it was, you know, I mean, I look at CAO as like some of the most fun I had in the industry because um, we just worked with a great group of people and it was like being in a fraternity more than anything else. And, and you didn't have to worry about anything other than do your job well and you're going to get paid and we're going to grow this company. And it was, you know, I don't want to say it wasn't stressful, but the pressure wasn't one-tenth of what I discovered when I became a co-owner of Crown Heads with Mike Condor. It was like, now you're starting from scratch and now you are responsible for creating the product that is going to take care of you, your family, him, his family, her, her family, and those that come after. So it was a whole different ballgame. It wasn't, you know, I'm not saying it's not fun, but it's it's a lot more pressure and stress. And especially as we grew over the years, over the last decade, it's become, you know, more and more and more. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely hurdles and obstacles in, in the early going. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, we just, I always felt like we could do it. And we did, we have, you know, to be still, in the conversation a decade later, it says something because a lot of companies have come and gone. And, you know, you look at the statistics of any business, it's the odds are stacked against you that you're going to survive the first year, three years, let alone 10. So, um, 
you know, we I put a lot of credit in the fact that we work with some really great partners on the manufacturing level, and we have a great sales team, and um, some great creative people. I work with a, a wonderful graphics designer, uh, Wade Stringfellow. You know, I give him a shout out. I mean, we just have surrounded with really good, talented people now. So I feel like in some ways we've been doing it for a decade, but in other ways I feel like we're just getting started. So why the name Crowned Heads? Uh, one of the things I was tasked with early on when Mike and I decided to create a company was naming the company. And so when I left CAO in December, I just went on a little hiatus, I guess, and went home and started to like brainstorm a bunch of stuff, write a bunch of stuff in a notebook and had a few names that I would float by Mike. I text him and he wouldn't like one and I'd like one vice versa. And then we'd finally agree on one. And then the attorneys would be like, no, you can't register this. And I'm like, God. so I was like, get my wits in. And then one day I was watching uh, wizard of Oz and um, there's one scene in the movie where before it goes to color where Dorothy goes to professor Marvel, just, you know, he tells her fortune or whatever. And on the side of his caravan, it said crowned heads of Europe, past, present, future. And I was like, crowned heads. And I literally just took a picture of my phone. I texted it to Mike and I said, what about crowned heads? And he's like, yeah, I kind of like that. And I was like, that was huh. it. It was as simple as that. And then when we announced the company, Scar Aficionado announced it in February, a lot of people were like looking for a, a different meaning, like crowned heads. Oh, Condor Huber, CH, crowned heads. Oh, somebody said that it was like the triple cap on a cigar is called a crowned head. I'm like, no, that's not it. Either. It's just the Wizard of Oz. It was just, <laughs> it was one of those things. It was just like kind of I, I wanted something that was you know am, ambiguous enough that it wasn't like you know Huber Condor Cigar Company or Condor Huber Cigar. You know, I wanted something that made people ask the question, "What is crowned heads?" And then the the thought was, if I can establish excellence in that lane of cigars. Who knows? Maybe we could branch out into something else. And once you have that name established, which, I mean, we're still working to establish the name of cigars, so that never really came to fruition yet. But, I mean, that's that's the uh, the history of the name, really. It's as simple as that from Wizard of Oz. I mean, from from my side, uh, looking in, Crown Heads is definitely uh, you know, somewhat definitely established in the industry. It's well-known and well-liked uh, from what I heard and gathered and Thank you. What I've smoked so far, uh, just phenomenal stuff. Your Crown Heads you. is based in Music City, uh, Nashville, like we mentioned, and you'd mm -hmm. like to use music history to influence your cigars. For example, Jericho Hill is Johnny Cash's cover of uh, Cocaine Blues inspired uh, mm -hmm. the name of that cigar. Four Kicks is taken by the song from Kings of Leon. Headley Grange, uh, designed from the Led Zeppelin cl classic When the Levee Breaks, that is the English mm -hmm. studio that they used. And then uh, Court Series E is John Inspiration from the classic guitar solo Eruption from late Eddie Van Halen. Sure. Um, is there any other future products or maybe collaborations with musical artists in the works currently? Well, you know, funny you mention that. I mean, our PCA release that I've been working on since March of 22 with Ernesto, it'll be our first regular production brand with uh, Tobacco La Alianza with Ernesto. Um, and, three or four years. So it's been a while since we did something new with him, but we started working on this, you know, over a year ago, but the, the name came to me from a specific song, but I'm trying not to, in the, the marketing collateral, I'm not going too deep into that. 
I'm just like, I like the name. I'm going to leave it at that. You know, if somebody puts my feet to the fire, I'll say, well, yeah, it came from this song by this group or whatever. But I don't want, I, I want to steer clear of that because like, for instance, with like Siri E, um, even though it was inspired sonically by Eruption, everybody dumbed it down to, oh, that's the Van Halen cigar. And I'm like, yeah, no, you're missing it out, man. You're missing, you're missing the, yeah. if you listen to the trajectory of the music and you, you know, and nobody really got that. So I'm trying to stay away from that a little bit and just kind of, if it inspires me to create something, then so be it. But I don't want to like lean too deep into that story. But yeah, this one coming up technically was musically inspired technically, but we're not going to go too far into that with the, the marketing. Not like uh, with Siri, I believe, uh, inside the box, you have it painted like Van Halen's. Was it the Frankenstein guitar? Yeah, the Frankenstrat. We, we, actually, that wasn't exact, was not an exact replica of that. I had Wade come up with his own interpretation of that design. And then it was a failed uh, execution because the factory couldn't apply the vistas. And it was, it was a big mess. That, and fortunately, great cigar, bad execution. So, um, you know, and I learned a lesson from that. Um, you know, it's just like people are going to just, they'll tend to dumb it down to the lowest common denominator. So for me to like go through this whole story of how it was sonically inspired, people say, oh, it's a Van Halen cigar. No, it's not, you know, it's not a gimmicky thing. It's so, you know, lesson learned. Move yeah. forward. Crown Heads uh, Cigars hides in a warehouse district next to a pet crematory uh, yeah, in Nashville. Yeah, we don't, it wasn't intentionally to be hidden, but, um, you know, it's very difficult to find a space that has enough warehouse space that you can actually retrofit, you know, controlled humidification in with a loading dock where they will let you smoke. So it was, it took us about six months to, to find this place. And, you know, truth be told, we've actually outgrown this space. Um, we've had to get new racks that went instead of going 10 feet high, they went floor to ceiling, 20 feet high. And we've done things like that. Um, but it's not easy to find a place. And yeah, our new neighbor next door to us is a, a pet crematory. So, but they're very nice people, super good people. And, and they don't complain about the smoke. That's the main thing. So, I'm sure, I'm that. sure they don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, it's, it was tough to find this space, especially in Nashville, you know, so. Is there a uh, visitor center there or a location where the public can come visit and see your operation or is it just I, an I office I wish there exclusive? was. I wish yeah. there was. And eventually, initially when we found this spot, we had these aspirations of like doing something along those lines where we had like a little lounge area and then we were going to bring in like a photo booth and let people take their own pictures and take away their pictures. You know, we had all these like, you know, grand aspirations. And then as we kept growing and growing, that kind of went by the wayside and like, okay, now your necessity is storage and inventory. So he kept buying racks after racks after racks. And um, so now basically all it is, is like a conference room, um, two offices, and then a warehouse with a loading dock. So they're really, and we, we do get a lot of requests like, Hey, I'm coming to Nashville. I'm a big fan. I'd like to visit. I'm like, you know, I might save you a trip because there really isn't much to see here. It's just a warehouse essentially. Not glamorous yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, but it gets the job done for now, for sure. So, well, I'll, yeah. I'll be driving through Nashville early July, so maybe I'll okay meet up, meet so, up with uh, you. Maybe yeah. we could burn one. It, absolutely, would love to. Um, we it just depends what time of July, because I think 
the PCA is going to be, I think we're leaving on the 5th and coming back mm. like on the 12th or something like that. It will, it will all be in Vegas. So, so maybe I'll, I'll hit you up on, on the drive back then. Maybe. Because I'll, I'll be heading down on the 7th and I'll be down in Chattanooga probably till uh, late July, early August. Oh, yeah, so. I'll be back by late July for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So <laughs> your hat game is on point. Um. I'm a big hat guy myself. Uh, you have a good number of releases. I like the the one that has the crown heads and like the old school starter style is one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I did those a while ago. The the new release to your hardware store, uh, hardware store, yes, is the effing good cigar hat. Great, looking uh, good. It's it, great. Yeah, phenomenal. It's a creative play on ping golf. Um, yeah, I. I I have a history with the golf industry, so I immediately saw it and just giggled. I think I thought it was hilarious. Um, but how was how that that design created? Like, who was the mastermind behind taking that and turning it into what it is? I don't know if I call myself a mastermind. I had this conversation with somebody else, and they said, "Oh, that was so this, that, and the other." And um, excuse me. And um, I said, "No, I, I just think I see things differently than other people see them. That's all." And I was watching this. I'm not even a golf guy. I don't play golf. Um, never have. And I was watching this documentary on Netflix, Full Swing, I think it's called. Yep. yep. And I got completely sucked into that. I was like, this. it was fascinating for me as a documentary standpoint. But I kept seeing that hat over and over. And I just saw it. And I go, it, effing. I could, if you just took the this out of here and put a small dot in between, it's effing. And then I'll just put great cigars. And that, that's as simple as that. So I just sent it over to uh, Derek, our, our hat rep. And I said, okay, I want to mark, mark this up. You know, and so we did. And it was as easy as that. It took me all of like a minute. So yeah. same with Nash Pro Smokes. You know, it's a play on Bass Pro, Nash Pro. Yeah. Uh, you also yeah. did one for uh, Blood Medicine that looks like Budweiser a little bit with the bow tie. Yeah. Yeah, it does look a little bit like Budweiser. But actually... I riffed it off of bar stools busting with the boys who they riffed it off of Budweiser. So it's like Budweiser twice removed, but yeah, I have fun with it, man. It's just another creative outlet for me. I mean, I keep a file on my desk of headwear literally, because that's really our only marketing piece. We don't do a ton of like ashtrays and lighters and cutters. We've always just kind of, we've, I always thought hats were a great marketing piece because it's a one size fits all essentially. And it's walking advertisement. You know, a lighter is going to stay on the guy's desk or in his pocket, but he's going to wear the hat and people are going to see that. So I always thought hats were a great uh, marketing tool. But I've got a file that's literally about, I don't know, three inches thick of either every hat we've done or designs that are in the queue or stuff that's in production. And I, I just do something new. I rotate every like four to five weeks. And we've never re repeated the same design or colorway twice. It's always, yeah. you know, when it's gone, it's gone. And I get DMs like, are you going to bring this one back? I'm like, no, you know, you got to, you, you got to get it when they're, they're there. It's just fun. It's, 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 it's cool. Uh, and I've always, I've always the, been a hat guy since I was five years old. So it's, you know. With some of the designs that you have with uh, kind of playing off of existing companies, like we mentioned, have you ever had any companies complaining about any type of trademark or, or copyright infringement? Knock on wood to this point. No, um, I did at CAO 
I got a couple of cease and desists when I was in, in the CAO days. I designed a T-shirt um, that said "Enjoy CAO Cigars," but it was all in the font of Coca-Cola. And I rem- and, and um, it, I, was, it, I thought it was clever. This is probably yeah. you know ninety six, ninety seven, something way back. And literally, like within weeks, I was and I literally I was like it was like a badge of honor. Like we must be people must be like you know watching us. This is kind of cool. So, you know, obviously we, we trashed this, we ceased and desisted those t-shirts. And then I got another one from the motion picture industry of America um, because we came out with a CAO extreme. And I said, well, we'll put a rated R sticker, like restricted for like full bodied smokers or something. It was just a clever kind of a little tongue in cheek thing. And the MPAA actually sent us a cease and desist on that as well. So I've gotten huh. those two over the years. But they were both in my CAO days. So far, knock on wood, haven't gotten anything. Um, you know, there is a, a, there's a thing called fair use, which if you look like Stanford Law wrote a, an article on this, and there was a, a famous lawsuit where I think you two sued this band for using the similar cover art, and the band actually won the lawsuit, and it was it established this thing called fair use. So if you look it up, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, but um, there is some some latitude there, you know, as long as you're not using the direct, I'm not putting Ping's logo on there and putting Ping great cigars. It's, you know, I, I, I altered it. So we'll see, you know, but we also do a lot of stuff like just with the Crown Heads logo. And I've been working with Ebbetsfield Flannels for five collabs on their stuff. And it's always just the CH thing, very straightforward kind of a thing. So we, you know, we do a little bit of both. I like to have fun with the the riffs, but I also do some of the straightforward stuff as well. Uh, is there any new hats in the works that you can maybe, you know, tease our listeners with or anything that you can give up? The only thing I got that's in production right now is uh, I haven't done any merchandising recently for Las Calaveras, even though it's arguably one of our biggest annual releases. So I decided this year that I would. So I've got a Las Calaveras hat coming out, which is pretty cool. That'll be here probably beginning of June. Um, and then I did a, a really nice hat for our new PCA release, um, which is, you know, I went back to Derek and I, my rep and I said, I, this is going to be kind of high end for us. So I don't want just like the, your normal trucker or your normal snapback. I want something that is a little more luxury. And so we created a, uh, a, basically a kind of a hybrid trucker where it's mesh in the back, but it's suede in the front. So it's going to be, it's going to be kind of nice. So got those okay. two come in and I've got, uh, I've got some cool stuff coming out in July. Probably that's a little bit more Americana make America smoke again, kind of hat, but in, in a new style. So they're just, you know, there's, there's, I got stuff. I could literally not design another hat and probably have new stuff for the next five years, but you know, it's I'm right now. I'm focused more on the cigar game than the hat game. Um, we're we got our hands full in product development right now. What's your personal preference? Fitted, flex fit, or snapback? Um, good question. I have them all, all in my collection, and I've been fortunate to work with Ebbets. I've been fortunate enough to do collaborations with New Era, which is like that was like wow for me. That was a big deal. And, and fitteds. Um, I've, I'm a I've seven and a half and a 5950 in case you were wondering. 
that's perfect because that's my size and that's also the sample size. So that's the size that we usually get the most of. We used to do uh, fitteds with New Era more more frequently, um, and then as their business really blew up in the last three or four years. Um, there's less space for us to get in there. So I think the last one we did was last year, at the end of uh, maybe 2020, early 2021, something like that, or 22. But um, we do them from time to time. And but those never go for sale on the site. Those are just kind of like friends and family kind of thing. Um, I don't think I have any more seven and a half. So I think I got five eighths and three quarters left and that's it. But um, what I wear most often probably is a trucker. I just wear trucker hats are just easier. They fit better. They do. Um, that's why I have the Tatuaje one on right now. That fits perfect. Uh, and I, I'm a big fan of the the patch me, hats. Are... Send me your um, your mailing address, and I'll send you one of the effing great cigars hats and the Nash Pro nice. smokes and stuff. Absolutely. Suited up. Yeah, man. Carve your own path is something I heard you say often in, in previous interviews. It's kind of like your mantra. Can you tell our listeners where that comes from and, and what that means to you? So when we first, the first thing we did um, after we established the name was we kind of white, we're big on whiteboards. So we sat down and we, we kind of, you, you whiteboard all your ideas, your philosophies, your ethics, everything. You kind of, it's a long exercise, but you dumb it down to one mission statement, more or less. And I remember I was in the office with uh, Mike Condor and our graphics man at that time, Stephen Jones. Um, and we came up with, you know, we took all of that, called it down to carve your own path. Like when the rules don't make sense, carve your own path. Cause we were very much anti cigar establishment. We weren't like your normal, you know, cigar company that starts up in Miami or something and, and has like Cuban roots or, or, or heritage or whatever. We were two guys in Nashville trying to start a premium cigar company. So, you know, we kind of like when the rules don't make sense, carve your own path. You know, if everybody goes right, we go left kind of a thing. And it was kind of created with the intent to become an aspirational brand, which by that, I mean, you know, inspire people to aspire to creating their goals and going after their dreams. So even if a guy doesn't smoke cigars, I wanted him to see Crown Heads as an aspirational brand, much the same way like Harley Davidson, you know, huge brand. But I would venture to guess maybe 30 or 40% of the people that own a Harley Davidson t-shirt don't even have a motorcycle. But they aspire to the the ethos of the brand, of the rebelliousness, of the lifestyle, of the freedom. And so that's that was always my vision for Crowned Heads. It was going to be more than just a cigar company. It was going to be an aspirational brand. And to an extent, I mean, we're, we've kind of done that a little bit. And I, I'd like to think that we've inspired a few people along the way to, to go after their own their own dreams. I mean, I know I've, I've been in contact over the years with guys that have hit me up and going, hey, I'm working this job. And I, really want to get in the cigar business da, 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 da. and then like six months later they're like i took your advice i'm now in the cigar industry you know doing carving my own path and i've never been happier thank you and it made me feel good you know so that's where it comes from another thing that i was wondering where it came from uh how did you end up calling your wife by the nickname pure outlaw i didn't that was <laughs> that's a good i still don't know the answer to that question i remember that was her um her Twitter handle or, or whatever they call it. And um, I remember when we were first talking on the phone, I'm like, what does that mean? Where'd you get that from? And she's like, you're going to have to stick around and find out. And so I've been with her for 13 years and I still don't know how that started, but that's not her nickname. I have a different nickname for her, but um, that's, that's a, that's a private story more or less. 
So I heard great things about the JR 50th release you did with Mother Church. Yeah. Are there any plans to working together with the Cigar Dojo folks on collaborating a blend for them? Zero. <laughs> Zero. I, I, listen, I mean, I just, I, I don't know those guys very well. Um, I've tried to, we've supported them with some advertising on a small, small scale. And um, but I just, we kind of, we're like, there's certain guys that we resonate with and certain guys that we're persona non grata with. And I kind of think that Cigar Dojo is one of those guys that are entities that we're kind of persona non grata with. I mean, you can see that they definitely have some house favorites there. Crown Heads is certainly not one of them. So no hard feelings, but I just have no plans to do anything with them. And, in, in, you know, now or whenever. So. Out of uh, the cigars from the Crown Heads portfolio, which one would you consider your favorite child or your go-to? So hard to say. So hard to say. I mean, when you just hit the nail on the head when you said your favorite child, it's like you can't, you can't really. How do you choose? You know. Um, I mean, sentimentally, I think Tennessee Waltz is because of the inspiration and the storyline that goes back to my grandfather and, and he had such a huge role in my life. Um, that probably sentimentally might be one of the more special ones for me. Uh, and then the original four kicks, just knowing all the work that we put into developing the blend and working with Ernie. I mean, those are all, they, they hold special places, you know, but that's not to say that I'm not super excited on what we're going to release in July. Cause I'm like, oh, this, this could be the crown jewel. This could be, you know, you're constantly trying to improve and get better and better and better. So it, there's really no go-to. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the cigar that I smoke most right now, it's all in banded samples are on my desk. I've got a plethora of different bundles of different cigars at different stages and different ages and different, you know, factories. And I'm smoking those all continuously. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm done, I just want a cigar to unwind with. I'll just go back into the cabinet and pick out whatever calls my name. And like last night, it was, it was a Jericho Hill 44S. And I'm like, wow, I forgot how good this cigar was. This is really freaking good cigar. But people tend to, you know, and I call it the craft beer mentality because everybody's onto what's the new, new, right? And they always ask you what's new, what's new. And so they tend to forget about, you know, Jericho Hill that was released in 2014, but it's still a fantastic cigar. I, a perfect example. We did a brand in 2013 called Headley Grange. You alluded to it about being inspired by the drums from When the Levee Breaks. And we came out with it, and I thought it was a fantastic blend, and Ernesto was very proud of it as well. It made Cigar Aficionado's top 25. Um, and then it just kind of, I don't want to say vanished, but people just weren't paying attention to it when we were coming out with like all the new stuff. So fast forward to... Last week, I found out that um, in Cigar Aficionado magazine, they have a section in the back called Connoisseur's Corner. And when I was a cigar geek, I'd always read Connoisseur's Corner. That was like the best of the best. That was like the 98 rated Cuban from 1974 or something. You know, it was, it was insane cigars. And somebody sent me a picture of, of the Connoisseur's Corner from this issue. And Headley Grange is in the Connoisseur's Corner. And I was like, wow, that to me like meant a lot because it was like the only non-Cuban in Connoisseur's Corner in that issue. The other three were these amazing Cuban cigars. And I texted the editor, Dave Savona, and I said, 
man, I'm so flattered. I'm honored. You know, this is like something like when I was coming up, I always looked up to it and to be in it is like, it blows me away. And um, I said, how many non-Cuban cigars get that accolade? He's like, honestly, it's not more than three or four a year. And wow. um, so I was just like, wow. But the point of that story is it gets that accolade and we're not even producing it right now because we had a hyper focus on the newer brands that are, that are moving like Le Carême and Patissier and Nobius and all that other stuff. But people tend to forget about the things that we did, you know, 10 years ago. So. Do you have any uh, recent or upcoming releases that our listeners might not know about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we just launched the TAA exclusive um, at the end of March that sold out, it pre-sold out. So that'll be out probably in another couple of months, uh, The Lost Angel, which it's always does really well for us. We got Las Calaveras coming out. Um, we'll be announcing that this month, but it'll probably ship in June. We've got the PCA release that I'm smoking right now that I've been talking about hinting it at um, first regular production release with Ernesto Perez Carrillo in three plus years. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I've actually got the 2024 PCA release already done. So um, there's a lot of new stuff coming down the pike and we'll have another Paniolo in October. But um, yeah, I'm really focused on this particular PCA regular production release with Ernie. This is, I've put a lot into it. Um, it's next level for us. So hopefully it gets well received. You never know. Um, but we'll, we'll find out in about 58 days. So, <laughs> but who's counting? I, yeah, no, right. I'm like, it's insane. It's, it's that time of year where you go, okay, are the band's going to be ready? Are the boxes going to be ready? Are the inserts going to be ready? Is the bunch ribbon going to be ready? You know, there's a lot of moving parts and um, to get it all buttoned up, not to mention the booth graphics and, that's a whole different topic. So it's, it's a pretty big show, um, but it's evolved into a show that's a, a seven figure show for us. So it's, it's an important three days. So we put a lot of time and focus into it for sure. But um, yeah, though we're working on a bunch of new stuff, a bunch of new stuff. So if you're not smoking crown heads, you're not smoking your own brand. What would you pull out of the humidor? Um, well, I know it's on my desk right now. Somebody was kind enough to send me a, a nice little bag of Tatuaje. Tatuaje has always been one of my favorite go-to brands since Pete came out with it in 2003. Um, and I, I love everything he's done really, but, um, you know, Cabai Juan for me was like exceptional. Uh, the yeah. brown label, the, the Cazadores, um, you know, even his uh, Letelier, the first one, the like the Lat 54, Lat 56, all that, those were like mind blowing cigars. Um, I, 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 he's probably my number one, I'm a, you know, a fan. And I probably, you know, would say Pete stuff, my father, um, Ernie stuff for sure, like uh, EPC Encore. Um, I love that cigar. I think that cigar is just beautiful. Um, yeah, everybody talks I agree. About, everybody talks about Pledge. And I've smoked a handful and I think it's fantastic and worth all the accolades, but for me, encore. Um, so, you know, Pete, my father, uh, Ernesto, um, trying to think of who else, Illusion, when I can find them or if somebody sends them to me, I, I like Dion's stuff. I think Dion's a genius. Um, I'd like to try more of Nicholas's stuff. I've heard great things about foundation, but I haven't smoked anything past El Wednesday. Um, 
but I mean, I'm a big fan of Nick just on a personal level. I think he's a great guy. Um, yeah. I like, I like Willie stuff, Willie Herrera. Um, I, I think Willie has a fantastic, not only a palette, but a, has a blender. He's, he's amazing. Um, and it was, it was really a, a treat to work with him on Coalition. Um, but those are like the, the main ones, you know, there's not a lot of time to smoke other people's stuff, but those are the brands that come to my mind when I'm able to enjoy somebody else's stuff. Are there any upcoming events that people can come meet, greet, and try crown heads? Well, um, we have an events page, crownheads.com. And, you know, there's, there's definitely an events page that's constantly updated. Um, uh, I know Tim, Tim Osgener is out traveling a lot. He's promoting his, we distribute Osgener family cigars, but that is also part of crown heads as well. Um, Tim came back into the business last year and he released Bosphorus, um, to really great reception. It's, it's a fantastic cigar, uh, also made at Ernesto Perez Carrillo. And then he just released Aramas, which is San Andreas Mexican wrapper. Um, and it, that cigar is phenomenal and that hasn't hit the shelves yet. It will this month, but Tim is actively promoting both of those brands on a weekly basis, really. I mean, he loves doing events. Um, myself personally, I don't, I've never wanted to do events. Um, I probably just, the only event I do consistently aside from the trade shows is, uh, the Hawaii event for Paniolo. Um, but that's about it for me. I don't really do. I didn't, I didn't want to, when I started crown Heads, I didn't want to build the equity of, of the company into me. I wanted to build it into the brand. I wanted the cigars to be the highlight, not the personality or the face or meat. John Huber, that was for me was like, I'm not even interested. I still am not. So I kind of like let our cigars do the, the talking for us and our reps go in and do the in-stores. And Tim is the opposite. He enjoys doing the event and talking to people and he's great at it. He's fantastic. So he's a great brand ambassador for his OFC lines. So, but if you go to the events page, it's all updated continuously. I think we have one Let's say the 11th there's we got something going on today and then tim will be at bng tomorrow if i'm not mistaken i think that's in ohio um so yeah there's always something coming up all right serious question best barbecue in nashville martin's shotgun willies or peg leg porker can i give you an honest answer yeah i've not had i've have had neither of those i know that sounds sacrilegious but i have never eaten at any of those places Sorry. <laughs> I know, That's man, right. I'm the wrong guest. I don't drink. I don't eat barbecue. I'm like, whatever. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not a big, I never have been a big barbecue guy, even before living in Nashville. And then that didn't change when I moved to Nashville, to be honest with you. I'm not, that's not my thing. Sorry. <laughs> you can ask me a different question. And I don't listen to country music either. So, but. Well, uh, I think I'm at my cigar. <laughs> My cigar is coming down to a nub. On that note, uh, no, I I appreciate you taking the time. Um, Thanks. I know you're busy. Um, Friends of the the Friends of the Leaf, don't forget to check out uh, our official sponsor, Black Star Line. That's blackstarline.shop. Use promo code CigarSocial15. Also, go to crownheads.com, crownheadcigars.com. Crownheads.com. And then on social media, it's The Crowned Heads. So I... 
I do all of our Instagram, all of our Twitter. I'm more active on Instagram, but that, I'm the guy that you send a DM to. So if you have any questions, it's the crown heads. So and for no other reason other than when we started the company, I went to use crown heads as the Instagram handle. And there was some like jazz quartet in New Orleans called crown heads. And then I was like, okay, so we'll just put a the in front of it. So that's how it became the crown heads. Yeah. Um, so folks find them there, uh, or ask for them at your local brick and mortar. Next episode, I'll be joined by creative director of room one oh one cigars, Matt Booth. Oh, so that should be a good one. That yeah, that, that should be, I'm preparing for that one. <laughs> another, 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 uh, long long friend from way back i've known matt for probably 15 years so he's 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 a gem i love matt matt's a good dude you'll have fun with that he's a great interview yeah oh yeah i uh you know in order to get my interview with him he requested uh, a picture of my right elbow in a bowl of mashed potatoes <laughs> That's so matt. uh that's Matt. Yeah, that said, that should sum it up a little bit for I, our listen, listeners. Here, here's a here's a side story. You can even run this by him, but I knew Matt before he got in the cigar business. Like when he was doing Room One Hundred One Jewelry, I was still a CAO, and I read an article about him in a magazine called Complex, which is a cool magazine back in the day, and I loved his jewelry. In fact, this is this ring. He did this for me years ago. Um, and so I contacted him, I, you know, the info at, and I typed my name and never thought nothing of it. And then that afternoon I was driving home and I get a phone call and I pick up the phone and he goes, yeah, it's John Huber there. And I'm like, this is Matt Booth. And I'm like, what? And like the dude literally called me. I'm thinking he's this big jewelry designer guy. Why is he calling me? Anyway, we, I bought a few pieces from him. He custom did a few pieces, including this one. And, um, I remember telling him like, Hey man, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I'd like to send you some cigars. This is what I do at CAO. And he's like, no, I don't smoke cigars, but you can send a box to my uncle Leroy in Washington state. I said, okay. And then I, I got his address and I said, you know, uncle Leroy, this is on behalf of your nephew, Matt, da, 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 da. never heard anything else. And then like nine months later, I see this magazine come out. This cigar, I can't remember what cigar magazine it was. And it was like Matt Booth doing an accessory line for Camacho cigars. And I'm like, huh and then like the the following year he's like creating his own cigar and everything and we i laugh about it now it's just kind of funny because he went from like no man don't send those to me to like now he's in the game so but he's he's awesome he's a creative uh, that's great creative good story for sure yeah um yeah that should be a good one uh thanks again for listening uh john thanks again for taking the time um My pleasure. we'll see you next yeah uh we'll see you next time here at the cigar social podcast all right, see ya.